Welcome to Bark's podcast, featuring news, interviews and information from the pet industry. We bring you news about latest events and seminars, as well as interviews from some of the best in force-free and behavioral science-based training. We aim to create a fun, educational and informative podcast that is PPG member focused. So come along and join us, bring your questions, expertise and a dash of humor. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Nikki Tudge, and I am joined here with Emily Wolf and Libby Feltz. Hello, ladies. Hi. Thanks for so, having us. You're very welcome. So I'm sitting here in sunny Florida. It's about 85 degrees outside. And Emily, you're sitting there in a big jacket. Where are you, and what is the weather like? We're in Colorado, and today is the first chilly day, and okay. we're actually thrilled. And I think maybe I was a little um, quick to put on the cozy <laughs> jacket, but I was like, bring it. I, it was a really hot summer here and we're ready. Good. Yeah. It's, it's actually just starting to cool down in Florida, which is nice because the summer can be a bit brutal. So welcome to both of you. All right. So we are here today to talk about rescue and podcasts and putting those two things together. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. So Explain to me, um, first of all, give me a little bit of background of, of both of you. Let's let's start with you, Libby, because you're on the left. Tell everyone just, just a little bit about yourself. You don't have to go into too much detail. Sure. I am studying to take my CPDT, and I have been working with dogs for, um, well, in the rescue for, what, four years now? And um, in that time, I have been kind of taking on some of the more difficult cases, the fosters who needed a more skilled foster home. And um, yeah, and over the years, I've just accumulated enough knowledge, I guess, and I decided to finally go official. So I'm studying to take my CPDT and um, Emily and I are doing this podcast together. Um, and you're on the board. Of oh, and I'm a um, member of the board of directors for Summit Dog Rescue which is the rescue, which Emily founded. Okay. All right. So the rescue is called? Summit Dog Rescue. Summit Dog Rescue. Okay. All right. So did, did you both meet through Summit Dog Rescue or did you know each other before that? We, we met. Yeah, we, we became a rescue. foster. Yeah. And then... Okay. All right. So Emily, you tell me about, um, about you and then tell me a little bit about how Summit Dog Rescue got formed. Okay. So let's see. I... Maybe we start with how it formed and that almost is who I am, which is kind of sad. Um, so I always loved dogs, started fostering dogs, saw a need kind of 15-ish um, years ago for more of a mixed breed rescue. I started with um, purebred Newfoundland rescue and then saw that there were like mixed breed Newfoundlands and I wanted to help them too. And then it kind of you know, snowballed over the years. And then about like seven years ago, we started to have dogs with behavior issues. And I realized that I was rescuing dogs and I knew nothing about behavior, like literally probably like less than nothing. Mm -hmm. So I was lucky enough to be taken under the wing of a local amazing trainer here in Boulder. And she kind of guided me and I ended up going to Karen Pryor Academy and getting my CPDT. So now our rescue is smaller, more hands-on, and more focused on behavior, um, we seem to just be seeing way more behavior issues 
in rescue. And then I realized that, you know, what we were doing for our fosters and our adopters was kind of cool, you know, like really focusing on this like behavior and social development and fear periods and threshold and all those things that we talk about. But I was like, we really need to help the other rescues that don't have that, you know, privilege or that interest in learning as deeply as Libby and I have learned, you know, so, so that's kind of where we were like, well, let's start a podcast. And so we, we started a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and you mentioned before we went live, which I thought was quite an important point because it's something that we're really tapping into at PPG right now. Um, and what you mentioned is that you wanted to have a podcast that wasn't geared towards pet professionals. It didn't have industry nomenclature that your average pet owner could actually follow along and understand. Is that, is that accurate? Is accurate. So one thing we've been doing is like we interviewed Dr. McConnell and Michael Shikashio, and we're going to have Kim Brophy on. And the goal is almost to create like a toolkit for um, rescuers or shelter workers so that just little things like them understanding what a lip lick is or whale eye or, you know, how to do a correct dog meet. Um, Eileen Anderson's going to be on in a couple of months talking about puppy socialization. We, we were hoping that we could make something really easy that on the way to a transport, someone could listen an hour and come yeah. away and understand aggression more, yeah. more easily. Yeah. And I think, I think sometimes, I mean, I know at PPG, we've had a lot of meetings over the last year about our communication style, because I think we do a really good job with our position statements and sort of pet professionals. But we also have a lot of pet owner members too. And, and to really advocate for our mission, we, ha- we all have to be reaching out to the pet owners. And I think sometimes we lose them because we speak to the language, like this sort of um, the dictionary of ABA terms. And most people just can't follow along or they get confused. So I think it's wonderful that you've got a podcast that is going to have some really fabulous people on there, but also it's sort of gearing its communication so that everybody understands it. I, th- I think that's really important. Yeah, it was super important for us to be able to reach your average owner because for us in rescue, we realized that we can't adopt our way out of the homeless pet crisis. Yeah. We also have to spay and neuter, and we also have to figure out why dogs are being sent to shelters in the first place. And we know that behavior is a big part of that. Mm-hmm. So if we can help homes before behavior problems become a big enough issue to where they want to relinquish their dogs, then we think we are doing our part in rescue to prevent it. You know, we want to not have a volunteer dog rescue organization in 10 years. We, you know, we don't want to have to. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I th- I think there's a strong argument to be made that you could present that all dogs go to shelters because of behavior, either because of a lack of behavior because the owner has a breed that is not exhibiting the behaviors they actually like, or the owner has a dog and didn't expect certain behaviors that are very species typical, or as a lack of training or inappropriate management of the environment, those teenage dogs that suddenly become you know, unruly. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I was the president of a nonprofit of Humane Society many years ago. It's how I first got involved in animals. Um, and I was amazed at some of the reasons people put down on this on the intake form as to, mm-hmm. you know, my dog digs holes, my dog barks. Isn't that what dogs do? 
Yeah. <laughs> right, right. yeah, normalizing those behaviors. And then yeah. also, I think that the developmental periods are so key. You know, we see so many people who have a five-month-old dog and they, they speak as if that dog is going to be that way for the next five years. And, you know, we'll just adopt out a five-month-old dog. Yeah. We're, we're like really want to impress upon people that like, just like us, behavior is fluid and your dog could bite someone in the face in a year and a half. And please don't, you know, yeah. want to return it immediately because you didn't do all the work. You know, we mm. take our dogs back. But if they come back with aggression issues, there's not much we can, you know, we can't safely rehome them. So it's really setting everybody up for success. One of the things I think that um, irks me about the, and I, and I say this with the greatest of um, empathy, because again, I've, I, up until about five years ago, I was very invested in rescue in terms of um, being a president of an organization. So it's not a world that I'm not unfamiliar with, but I was always um, surprised at the, the number of rescue organizations that don't have anybody on staff that understands training and behavior. So an animal, and I know I'm speaking to the preaching to the choir. So animals, no, no, in, we agree though. You know, they come in with a problem behavior and they literally are just warehoused until they go back out with the same problem behavior. And we all know what happens. It's that revolving door. They're back in again, or they, or they're lucky enough that they go to a home where whatever the problem was, it's not a problem for those particular owners. Um, and and, and I've, I'm not, not going to publicly embarrass any large organizations, but I, there are some huge organizations in the U.S. that if you actually go and look at their nonprofit financials, they have millions, millions of dollars in endowments. They literally would never have to um, fundraise again. And yet they don't see it as being an important priority to invest in having people on staff that can actually work on the behavior modification required for the animals to which they are going to be adopting. And I, and that I think is, I think that's actually quite shameful if I'm going to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. It's shocking. If you look at that new AVSAV statement that, you know, we all know that the number one cause of death for dogs under age yeah. three is not infectious disease, but it's behavior problems. Yeah. So, you know, we would never think of adopting out dogs without, you know, vaccines and a heartworm yeah. test, but behavior is like, Oh, that's just, you know, if you have a behavior issue and it, right. it should be the opposite, as you yeah. know. So, but, but I think that being someone who started a rescue because I was all heart, I was like, I love dogs. That's enough. I don't need to know about behavior. Mm -hmm. I can empathize with all those, you know, rescues yeah, and even yeah. shelters who, yeah. who just are like, okay, well, if there's a major behavior problem, we'll call a behaviorist, but it's like, no, actually you should understand just even the basics, like a growl, don't a growl that was like shocking for me when I learned that or yeah. you know a long leash creates you know less pulling oh hello <laughs> I'm Daisy. or kissing your dog isn't always good but if they solicit it's okay <laughs> I, I have to tell you as a working best practice when I when I was drafted into the um humane society in Panama City in Florida I got pulled into it because a friend of mine was the board president and they were having some serious financial problems. And she asked me to go in there and just look at it from a financial feasibility perspective, because that was what I was doing at the time as a business consultant um, and immediately sort of fell in love with it and had done some dog training as a hobby. But we were able, having, having um, secured staff on property that could do dog training, it actually became an income stream for us as well. It wasn't, it doesn't have to be a direct expense to have that expertise on staff. If, you know, I mean, there are some humane societies that do a really good job with running training sessions and socialization camps and not just for dogs, but also for other species too. 
So, because I think a lot of people, a lot of rescues say, well, we just can't afford it. And, and I, and I, I don't think, I think, I don't believe you can afford not to have somebody on staff that understands what's going on with training and behavior. I mean, I, I think we've reached that point with rescues now where we need to be putting that focus on making sure that, making sure when they go back out for adoption, they're not coming back with the same problem. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. So definitely. Go on. Sorry. Okay. Nope. Yeah. Okay. Um, the other thing you mentioned earlier, which caught my ear, was that you first started out with rescuing with what? What was the breed you were you were working with? Oh, Newfoundland. I started with. Yeah. Yeah. So you were working specifically with a breed rescue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you realized that there were so many mixed breed Newfies that yeah. I, see, I had this must be something in our in our our world because I had a similar situation with Aussies. I worked with an Aussie rescue but they would reject any Aussie mix because the mandate of their rescue was Aussies. So some of the board actually span off a new organization that takes Aussie mixed breeds, which is wonderful because they're still sort of protecting the breed, so to speak, but um, yeah. not doing it directly through just, just purely purebred. Yeah, it was a little weird to be like, a dog's gonna die in 24 hours and we're all arguing if it's a purebred or not. Yes. Like I. Yes. You know, I thought like, well, yeah. so we're just going to let it go. It had kind of a creepy feeling. So yeah. I said, let's start something that rescues the mixed newbies. And then it ended up being the mixed Aussies and the mixed labs. And yeah. The, yeah. 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 And, and it's interesting. It's interesting um, that. And one of those myths, and I don't know if you hear this a lot. I, I used to hear this a lot that, oh, I'm going to go to a breeder because I want a purebred and I won't find a purebred in a shelter. And I'm, I'm thinking, I've got 150 dogs in this shelter right now and at least 30 of them are purebred. Right. I don't know where that myth comes from. I think it's because people say, well, breeders have in their contracts, they'll take the dogs back, which, which is responsible, but it doesn't always happen. Yeah. Yeah. I would say the majority of breeders, I don't know this for sure, but majority don't take them back. We get offered purebred dogs all the time in our rescue. And we always ask, can the breeder take them back? And I can't remember one time when that happened. Yeah. Do yeah. you, as a rescue, I think the ethical breeders are, but yeah. there's not all breeders are ethical. So yeah. right, yeah. As um, as a rescue, do you work with breed rescue so that they can pull out the the dogs that they sort of? Yeah, yeah. For? We um, we are you know close with quite a few, like the herding dog breed rescue up in Wyoming or Akbosh rescue. Oh, this is going to be interesting. Um, Should I go crazy. get my Aussie? I'll Sorry. go get my Aussie because she's in another room with a squeaky toy right now. We can get this in stereo. We yeah. we hiked four and a half miles this morning, and she's act didn't happen. I so I apologize. And she, and she, no worries. No worries. Yeah, she's a rescue purebred um, healer. Yeah. Yeah. And she came in with, oh my gosh, like one thing we didn't even know until we got to AZ was sudden environmental contrast, mm -hmm. you know, so yeah. she likes to uh, react to bikes. And so Libby took her and has been working for years and yeah. beloved. Yeah. Cool. Okay. And she, we, you know, we, in, in my home, she found a place where she could just be her sweet little heal herself. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, again, it's I have an Aussie who likes to um, chase cars, not mm. if, she's, if, she's, if she's on a leash, not 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 at all. But we used to live on 24 acres and she would have full access to about 10 acres at the front where she could run up and down if the UPS vehicle came or the FedEx vehicle. 
And then we moved here and I suddenly went, mm, this is going to be a problem now because we only have three acres and I don't want her on the front of our house running after cars. So what wasn't a problem then suddenly became, a, okay, I've got to get my act together and try and figure this out. Right. Same dog, same habits, but just, you know, different contexts. Suddenly it becomes an issue. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so let's talk about the podcast. So the podcast, an extension of the rescue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yep. you're both in the rescue and you're sort of doing really great work with the rescue. And then one day, one of you said, how can we get better education out? Let's start a podcast. Is that how it, is that how it went? How did it go? Pretty much. That, yeah. that was Emily. Yeah. Um, you know, and education has always been a big part of our mission with Summit Dog. You know, like, like I mentioned earlier, we realized that we can't adopt our way out of, out of the homeless pet yeah. issue. We right. have to also spay neuter and we also have to educate people on, on dog behavior, dog wellness, dog so yeah, in order to keep them in their homes. So yeah, um, education has always been a big focus. But Emily started saying, "Gosh, like what? two years ago, two years ago, we should like, have a podcast. We, we should have, have a podcast because we were always yeah. texting each other episodes of Hannah Brannigan's podcast yeah. or Sarah Streming's podcast, and yeah, Emily just started saying we should do this that focuses on rescue dogs mm -hmm. and." Should we tell the story of how it really came to be? Because yeah, yeah, come on, give us the real story. Give me the real story. The real story is we were like looking into it and like it never seemed like we should, you know, like we just, we were always putting out fires and rescues. So yeah. it was like never like would the rubber meet the road or whatever. So one night it was a snowstorm and I was watching Brene Brown on Netflix or, and uh, she's like, be brave. And I'm like, you know what? I don't know. It just popped in my head asked Dr. McConnell to be on the podcast and I must have had like a glass of wine or something so <laughs> so I go on her website and the wine. Like, yeah so so I like it was a contact form and I'm thinking you know if she even if anyone responds they'll tell us sure like 2022 let's talk mm -hmm. so I filled it out and two days later Dr. McConnell herself emailed and said sure I'd love to be on the podcast you know, oh. but I have to get it done by May 1st because that's when like sheep trials start or they right. start yeah, so she started doing her really busy season started. So we didn't have anything together. We were like, okay, we don't, we don't know anything about having <laughs> a podcast. So, so we had to like just quickly whip out right. like everything, have a couple of guests on before we recorded with Dr. McConnell because we we're like, this can't be our first guest. Yeah. Like God forbid we didn't hit the record yeah. button. <laughs> so yeah. we had a couple of awesome trainer friends be on, and then we kind of got our wits about us and mm -hmm. we had her on. And so she, that was like she is really the reason yeah. we have this podcast. Because I think we'd still be like, we should do a podcast. Yeah. 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 Sometimes, that, sometimes that it takes fire. a bit of an emergency reaction to sort of go, okay, we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna move here. Yeah. What was yeah. the um, what was the topic about? What what was she discussing? Trauma and decompression. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, kind of, we, we have been requiring everyone to read Love Has No Age Limit, her awesome little short book, yeah. for probably the last, like, five or yeah. six years before oh, they wow. bring a dog home, so that's right. that, and just, you know, how to bring home a dog. Right, okay, cool. So who's, who's the next guest? When's your next podcast? The next one coming out um, would be... Right now, we are on an every Thursday schedule, and we are soon switching to every other Thursday, just because 
-hmm. you know, we are volunteers and the podcast is a total volunteer endeavor. So it's a little more sustainable for us to do every other Thursday. Um, We just recorded with Marissa Martina, who is a trainer and behavior consultant here in the Boulder area. And that was a fabulous conversation. We talked about collaboration between rescues and shelters and other organizations. Daisy, no thank you. I won't pet you then. I'll do the boring. Go on. Are you guys aware of the toolkit that PPG has for rescue and shelters? The pet rescue resources. Yeah, we should put that that on our on our website um it's got it's i mean it's got two amazing protocols on there there's one which is a play protocol which spent which took over a year for the team to develop it it's fabulous it has everything from videos to pdfs to it covers everything kelly lee and the team did an awesome job on it and then the second one is a um leash jumping and those two came about because they polled hundreds of rescue organizations and said what is the most important thing we can work on and that the overwhelming answer was how to conduct safe play groups in shelters and then and you guys know this that dog that you walk into the kennel to put it on a leash to take it out and you've got a dog literally bouncing over your head um, and the behavior is so powerful that you can't just ignore it you know that you can't even attempt to do that and those dogs that can be dangerous without intending to be dangerous just because they're so wound up and have so much energy and they're big and bulky and they, you know you're working in confined spaces so that was the second one which mm, was rolled out. yeah yeah we should do an episode about that that would be fabulous should. if you ever want to be on yeah <laughs> well I'm, I, I'm probably not the best person I mean I'd be I would be I would be happy to 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 join you and um, but we should probably get um there's a couple of people I'll have to check with them first but there are still two or three people on that committee the committee's taken out actually taken a, a short break because that literally doing those two programs wiped them out I mean it was such intense work for such a long amount of time but I'm sure they'd be happy to come and talk about the protocols. And one of the things that we're working on right now, the whole plan with that playgroup protocol was then to um, train PPG members that work with rescue so that they could be responsible to sort of help implement it across different regions. But obviously COVID wiped that out. Mm -hmm. So now we're trying to develop a model where it can be done virtually, where, where shelters can log in, get all the materials and then have sort of mentoring calls twice a week or once a week or whatever the protocol is to help them implement. Because, and I, I'm, I don't know about you, but when I first started managing a shelter, it used to terrify me putting dogs together because you just didn't have any history. And, yeah. and you tend to sort of go up to the other way and say, well, it's not necessary. Let's just walk them separately. But it can be such an important component, especially dogs that spend a long time in rescue that they maintain a level of um, skills, you know? So yeah. Do you do play groups at your place? We just have too few dogs in the rescue at this point to do actual play groups, but we do do a lot of walks. I mean, Mm -hmm. we do like probably impromptu, like two fosters will go for a walk and then at the end there'll be a play session. And we're entirely foster based. So most of our dogs are fostered in separate homes. Right. Um, And, we will, and we're also very low volume these days, so we will do, you know, get a couple dogs together to play yeah. if we think, A, it's necessary, yeah. and B, it would be a good fit, but it's not, um, yeah. it's not an everyday thing, I mean, say. So, Emily, let, let me ask you a question. Um, so you started working with dogs before you had any education on dog training, 
and you saw, and obviously because you love dogs. And then you thought, there's so much more I want to do with this. I'm going to go away and get myself educated. So when you came back, did you stop doing things that you did before? Because suddenly you knew that potentially there were consequences to what you were doing. And I'll give you an example. We used to, um, we train, we have a dog training certificate program through Dognostics that was originally our Dogsmith program. And about 15 years ago, um, a friend of mine went through the program and she turned up at my place with a dog and just let it straight off the leash with four of the dogs. And I just went, whoa, 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 stop, stop, put it back in the leash, take it out. We need to do some kind of introduction before we do that. Mm -hmm. um, and she was like, oh, they'll be fine. And I said, you don't understand. I've seen these situations go wrong so quickly. Oh, and about wow. six and about six months later after she'd finished the training she came back to me and she said I can't believe how stupid I was I would never do that now and my husband always says to me the more educated you are with dogs the more fearful you become of allowing them to do things god a hundred times yeah. over I agree with that I mean yeah. yeah I used to so I lived up in the mountains and bring my fosters home and I would just let them in with my dogs and here's the craziest part I actually always tell my friends like they might not have liked me 12 years ago because I didn't have a fenced yard really. Like the fence, none of the dogs like being in it. It was too small. And I had multiple acres surrounded by like national park. So foster dog would come in, get to know the other dogs. And then like three days after leash walking it, so it knew where we lived. I would go just go for a hike. And it just like would go out, go to the bathroom, run around for yeah. a few minutes at a whistle. I mean, yeah it was actually miraculous but yeah. I mean that was me yeah. like now if we had a foster apply is that what they're <laughs> and I'd be like no you know so yeah I also do think we just I don't know why but like I didn't have any behavior issues back then you know so yeah. things have gotten a little bit more intense in the rescue yeah. world I think I you know the, the old you know um in unconsciously incompetent and consciously competent the four paradigms of learning um, I mean, I, you know, my very first dog was when I first came to the States in 2000 and I had a Kelpie um, mm -hmm. and I, I've always been a big runner and my husband and I would go running up on Parker Ranch. We had permission from the ranch to run on the utility roads and it was 750,000 acres. It was massive. And we would go out of our back garden, let my dog off the leash and just go. And we would see her running on the top of the, you know, mm -hmm. and we'd be like, yeah. And we'd run like 10 miles and then we'd get home and we'd be like, whistle and here she'd come. Oh my <laughs> God, I would never do that now. I just, would be, I, would be, I would be so petrified of losing my dog or coming across another dog on the trails or her chasing an animal or something. But I mean, the, the, the saying ignorance is bliss really does. I mean, it really is, isn't it? Ignorance really is bliss. But then the, the flip side to that is like, I used to be like, I don't need to give my dog treats. My dog listens to me because right. I'm me. And, yeah. you know, I had the yeah. short leash. I, I got into harnesses like, I think a decade ago. So at least yeah. I got that far. But there was a time when I was like, I don't like harnesses. You know, so, but now like every foster that comes in, we're like, here's a treat pouch. Here's how you use your reinforcers. Yeah. Leave, you know, do a loose one. Yeah, yeah, the whole thing, it's like, you know, like when they look back at you, but they have yeah. all this room to sniff, you give them a treat. And so there is like, there's that flip side of like, I feel like our dogs are getting good yeah. skills in the world. Yeah, yeah. That's the it's, it's, it's really nice to hear that. I used to do a lot of work with Aussie Rescue and I, a month did not go by that I didn't offer to do webinars for the foster network because I would have a foster dog on my farm and... Um, before it went out for adoption, I would say to the coordinator, who was a friend of mine, 
um, this dog really needs to go live in the suburbs because I can't, I can't tell you how this dog is going to react in the suburbs. She's fine. This Aussie is fine around horses, cows, goats, and sheep on my acreage, but she may have an issue with children. We don't have children or cars or the things that she's not being exposed to. So I met a lot of other fosters that would come to pick up dogs from ours. And we often held several dogs while they were being found permanent foster homes. And I used to cringe because they'd say, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll pick them up. They'll, they'll be fine in there and they have a full-time job. Well, how long will the dog be in the crate? Oh, they'll be fine in the crate for 10 hours a day. And I'm thinking, no, they won't. Absolutely, they will not. Or um, house training's fine. They'll figure it out. And I always thought it's such a shame that we don't invest time training foster homes because they would probably love the training as well because they're obviously animal lovers. And you're setting the dogs up for success when they're going into homes where they're getting treat pouches and being told about reinforcement and being given harnesses. So it's just a great win-win, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Our One of our goals is one reason where, oh my God, I'm so sorry about Daisy. <laughs> so like Libby hasn't had anyone over for a year and a half. So Daisy's like coming out of her skin right now She's because very, there's a visitor. Very excited. They're yeah. not usually visitors. So right. we're trying to stay calm so that right. Daisy calm around the visitor. Um, yeah, we're trying to, we used to do like 110 dogs a year and it, we're really trying to cut back because what we end up doing is we're always putting out fires and we're not developing a program. We want to like get down to node for a little bit and like figure out how we can do like an actual like behavior training program of our fosters. Even if we had like three excellent fosters, mm -hmm. it would be better now because right now we're still, we're not in any way perfect. Like we yeah. still have fosters yeah. who you know, playing the dogs and then it's like, you don't want to be mean to them and be like, oh my God, I would not have taken that dog out to the blah, blah, blah. Now, like mm -hmm. you can say, don't take it to the farmer's market, but you don't list like the 5,000 places you shouldn't take it the first week. And then you find out and you don't want to make them feel bad because they're just trying to do the best they can do. But well, and, and, and that's, you know, sometimes that. that, and sometimes that's good enough, isn't it? I mean, we all just do the best we can do and we keep learning and we keep educating ourselves and hopefully the best we can do gets better and better and better as we evolve um, and we become more educated. But yeah, the rescue world. Well, I can say, I'm sorry, Libby, go on. Oh, my, um, my first fostering experience with summit was pretty good. The dog came off of transport and I guess had a really rough day on transport. And so I brought her home and she was barking at wildly barking at anyone who came through the door and barking at people on walks and she was um much more difficult than anyone had anticipated right. and so having a trainer as a part of the rescue who could teach me how to easy no thank you who teach me how to deal with these things was so helpful so helpful and just having someone who I could call and text and have that support from was um, really made it a good fostering experience. Yeah. Yeah. I was always, um, I, I don't know. I mean, how long, how, when a dog comes into you and it goes into foster, is there a minimum period of time that you'll keep it before you will adopt it just so that you can evaluate it? Probably about a month. It at seems point, like at least. Yeah. You know, like we usually post them right away. Um, but then, you know, in the time, yeah, if you want to take her out, that might be good. Yeah. It's like having a toddler again. I love her, but there's a reason Libby ended up with her because 
Yeah, she's like five, and she's still like the Energizer Bunny. Yeah. Um, and she ate her Kong. I mean, we we tried to manage the whole situation, but now she's fine. It's fine. Yeah. She just made it. She's having a good old time. Oh yeah, she's like we have not had a visitor. Oh, she's not even going outside. She said no, thank you. Said, no, thank you. Okay, <laughs> all right. She's voice right now. Um, so. Uh, what were we talking about? Sorry. Yeah, we're, we're talking about how long they stay in at the foster. Oh, how long they stay. Yeah. So, you know, I would say we try to do like at least three weeks before they're actually adopted. Like yeah. we have an adoption hoping, hopefully happening this and it's rare that it goes this fast. Um, but he has been with us three and a half weeks and, you know, we usually do like a slow Right. transfer over and then you know a little bit of a trial period you know where we're very involved in their lives and supporting yeah. them and making sure it's the right fit yeah but I think this one will go well but then there's other ones you know I've had my foster dog now for five weeks and we just you know he's fearful so it's just going to take a longer time much longer okay what um what's your philosophy and on adopting dogs out in terms of I, I don't, I remember a, a few years ago, and let me just think for a minute who this was, somebody in our industry who I respect, had a lot of respect for, and it was somebody like Patricia McConnell, it was somebody of, at that level of experience mm -hmm. and knowledge, posted on Facebook and said, would you meet this criteria for adopting a dog? And there was like 20 points. That's a great question. You know, I and, feel and nobody, nobody met the criteria. There was like 150 professional trainers. I was one of them. And she said to me, this person said to me, why do you not meet the criteria? And I said, because it, one of the criteria is you must have a lock on your front gate. And we were living on a farm. We didn't have a lock on our front gate. The whole property was fenced and cross fenced. Um, and only about two or three people out of that 150 actually. And, she, and after she polled everybody, she said, this was the criteria that I was refused on to adopt a dog. Yeah. And then this whole discussion broke out about how um, some of the very rigid guidelines right. that rest, rather than looking at the individual family and the individual dog, they have these very rigid um, questionnaires. I have to say, I think that is like one of the better parts of our rescue. And I'm almost have to say I'm proud of it which is what we do is we look at every single dog and every single person yeah. and so you know we have adopted to people who like live in a cabin with no running water and have like a very fixed income you know and and you know are just amazing dog owners and yeah. then we've adopted to people in apartments like when Libby came to us she lived in an apartment with no fence yard. Mm -hmm. So um, I stole this from Trish McMillan. I heard her speaking on a podcast and I was like, that's what we do. We do conversational adoption. Maybe it was you know, Trish McMillan. Maybe that might've been Trish McMillan. Yeah. yeah. And we've always kind of done that kind of because I look back and I think like I wouldn't have adopted yeah. to, you know, I wouldn't, oh, I know. Cause I got turned down from the original, like when I applied for a new fee cause I didn't have a fence yard, which yeah. maybe that was appropriate there. I don't know, but yeah. you know, like doing that further yeah. exploration, well, what's your yeah. lifestyle like? Because you can throw your dog in a yard and you can sit out there barking for 12 right. hours a day. Right. Or, you know, you can live in an apartment and be yeah. so devoted. Then there are like parameters where we then look at the individual dog. Like Daisy was exceptionally hard to place because like, she had environmental needs. So we're like no apartments for Daisy because yeah. like the yeah. barking was, and her Pyrenees, like yeah. most Pyrenees bark, so no apartments. Yeah. But yeah, we look at the dog and we look at them and 
And we've been amazed at like some of the fits that we make that are phenomenal yeah. for people who probably couldn't would be rejected in yeah. other places. And yeah. we're like, that's a mistake. Yeah. We have very I do, I mean, few hard and fast rules. Yeah. I think, I think yeah. it's like shock collars are, you know, yeah. like if you're using punishment, mm -hmm. you can learn. We're open to teaching mm -hmm. you, but mm -hmm. you can't use a shock collar or a prong collar. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I do recognize it with some of the larger rescues. They don't have sort of board members making those decisions. They have employees on front desks and they they don't they have to sort of stick to a protocol because maybe they they can't go outside of that decision making criteria. But I, I love the expression you called it. Was it conversational adopt adoption? Yeah. 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 That was Melon. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. I was like, that's it. That's how yeah. it should be. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember. And there, I remember when this the very first time this came up for me as a topic of conversation was when I was at the Humane Society and there was somebody looking to adopt a border collie that had been there about 18 months because this dog was frantic um, and it had gone out several times and come back. And a man came in to adopt it and was told no because you live in an apartment. And he was in the lobby getting very frustrated. Lo lovely man. And I, I saw him for years afterwards with this dog. This dog just landed a jackpot. And I ended up going out to sort of calm him down. And he said to me, he said, I'm a marathon runner. I run a minimum of eight miles a day. I've always had a border collie. I've always lived in an apartment. I, my, my dog runs with me. Um, this dog needs a home. I've been watching it on the website for months. And we were like, absolutely, you can have it. And, and I'm telling you, for years after that, when I would drive down Back Beach Road in Panama City, I would sometimes see him out running with this dog. Now... Aww that dog could have gone to somebody on five acres of land that just literally did what you said, just put the dog outside. The dog would have had no enrichment, no life, no contacts, but because they had a fenced in garden, that would have been okay. okay. So, yeah. And, and again, I do, I recognize how difficult it is for the individual rescue groups, but yeah, I, yeah, I do like that um, statement. Well, shout out to our volunteers because we have a cadre of volunteers who read applications, who talk to fosters, mm -hmm who communicate and, you know, make the phone calls and yeah. do all the work behind the scenes to find the right fit. Yeah. 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 That's no fun task, but right. if the application even doesn't do the person justice and then we dig a little deeper and we're like, oh my God, these people are amazing. And they just yeah. filled out our application, you know, abruptly and didn't and then we're like, these people are amazing. So it's it's multifaceted. Well, I mean, and it can get quite frustrating, can't it? Because I, I'm not in the market for looking for a dog right now. I'm, I sort of joke that I am because a few weeks ago, we lost our 14-year-old little Jack Russell Terrier. And at some point, right. I will start to look for a rescue dog, a smaller dog. Um, and I've at night, sometimes I go on to Pet Finder and I sort of cruise around and I've sent some emails that have not been replied to. So I, under, I understand why people sometimes just sort of rush to fill forms out because they're filling them out all over the place aren't they they're sort of and it and it you, you, you in the end you get form fatigue it's like god if i have to fill out another form <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah that's very true yeah. well and sometimes you know we will share an application if we get a really great application in that we don't have a good fit for yeah we'll share that we, we have a couple of rescues here we'll we'll send it through purples or yeah. you know uh, mountain pet yeah, or another another rescue and say you know we don't have a dog for this but maybe you do and, mm -hmm. and of course obviously with the potential uh, doctor's permission yeah yeah, but, um, yeah excellent that's something we like to yeah we had the greatest conversation with marissa martino about more collaboration is mm -hmm. needed like we're all kind of in our little like lane it's like working so hard yeah. and the more we can collaborate like 
a universal form would be a really great thing that had a bit of a behavioral aspect. Like I have found universal forms, yeah. but they don't ask those questions of like, yeah. what would you do if your you know, dog growled? Mm -hmm. You know, like our, our form does ask some of those questions just yeah. so we can kind of gauge someone's education. Yeah. Yeah. And readiness to just live with another mammal yeah, <laughs> of a different exactly. species. Yeah. <laughs> Are you ready to have a non-human mammal in your house? <laughs> One of the things that we did um, quite successfully, and, and I'll give you a little bit of history on this because it's quite quirky. Um, I, I, I co-founded a rescue in 2009 with a girlfriend of mine whose husband owned several Chevrolet dealerships. And we started off with about 20 dogs and this rescue is still going now. They have like 300 animals over about 50 acres, a huge rescue. Anyway, her husband said to us one day, because I was doing some work in Panama City and the rescue was in Destin. And her husband said to us, why don't you look at your inventory and move inventory around? So we sort of said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, we've got all the small and fluffies and you've got all the sort of bully breeds. So anyone looking in this area, if they're looking for a bully breed, it's only going to find like a small and fluffy. And, and he was looking at it from a car perspective, from a dealership perspective, that if this dealership over here has got too many of this model, they drive them down to the other dealership because that was the best way to move them. Yeah. yeah. And we sort of went, we were like, Laurie and I were going, don't be so ridiculous. These are animals. And then we sort of thought, well, hang on a minute. He's, he's onto something here. This is actually quite important. So once a month between Fort Walton Beach and Panama City, we'd have like a van going up and down the Emerald Coast moving animals based on availability so if we had you know 10 border collies and they had none we'd give them five border collies and they'd give us five small and fluffies and it actually and it worked really really well because then each rescue had a selection of different dog sizes types etc because it wasn't there's nothing sadder than when somebody comes in to look for a dog and they can't find one they like and they leave mm -hmm. i mean that's really sad to think that a dog's just lost the opportunity of getting, of getting a new home. Totally. And we we work with some local Colorado shelters to pull dogs into foster from the shelters. Um, and, you know, so as you were talking, something that came up is, you know, if we have recently had a herding dog in rescue and had a really hard time placing a herding dog and we couldn't get applications that were a suitable fit for a herding dog, you know, the next one that comes up from a rescue partner, we might refer to the herding yeah. rescue because, you know, we know that we can't take another herding dog right now because there are no homes, right. at least in our network, for that dog. Yeah. So, yeah, collaboration. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I did. So important. Yeah. I mean, in our industry, just we all need to just do a better job of collaborating. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, there's so many organizations now that, you know, if we can all come together, I mean, there's not. There's not, there's so many animals that need helping. There's never going to be too many of us to help the number of animals that need helping. We, we all Absolutely. just need to, yeah, we just need to collaborate and be a, a bigger power for good. Yeah. That has been a huge theme on the podcast recently. We, our two most recent episodes are with Meredith Perry, who is on the board of directors for a shelter in rural Northeast Mississippi. Um, we talked a lot about the collaboration between, um, you know, transporting dogs from rural shelters in the South to rescues yeah. and shelters in the North and the West. And, you know, our the episode that we just recorded with Marissa Martino all about collaboration. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. 
It's, 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 it fascinates me that, um, I think it was Nathan Winograd, did you read his book Redemption when it first came out years ago? Yeah. Um, we, I, I read that when we first formed Aliqua in, um, in Freeport, but I, I never understood how, how that came about, that there was a shortage of dogs in the Northeast, but there were too many in the South and the fact that we were moving dogs around the country to mm -hmm. do that. I, did, I never understood if that was a, if it was a, um, a demographic issue, if it was a climate issue, if it was a size of state issue, if it was where the breeders were. I don't think, I, I don't know if anyone has the answer to that or if, I mean, can you well, listen, so yeah, listen yeah. to our latest two episodes yeah. of Meredith Perry because she really goes into detail about a lot of the reasons behind it. Yeah. Um, one reason really is a demographics issue. The, the population density in a place like Mississippi, which is mostly rural, is so vastly different from most of the, the Northeast yeah. or somewhere like the Front Range of Colorado where we are. Yeah. Um, there just are not enough homes mm -hmm. in Mississippi for all of the homeless dogs. Yeah. Um, and the wandering on state. She was like, every street you just see dogs like wandering around. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and they're just procreating. Have you heard of an organization called Good Dog Rescue? Um, in here in Colorado? Yeah, in Colorado. Oh, yeah, I think they're in Brookfield. Uh -huh. Yeah. yeah. I, I owned an animal hospital in Mississippi, in Oxford, Mississippi, in 2013. And the veterinarian that worked for us used to ship dogs from Mississippi to Good Dog Rescue in Colorado. They used mm -hmm. to send them out in vans, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Because there was obviously a problem in Mississippi with too many, but Colorado didn't have enough. Or they had, yeah. or they had rescues that were better able to deal with some of the dogs that were being sent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it wasn't something I was familiar with. Colorado's get full, but yeah. yeah, it used to not have enough. And now yeah. I feel like yeah. we yeah. brought in a thousand dogs into Colorado in 2019. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we have the 2020 numbers. Yeah, yeah. Not our rescue. Not our rescue, but like we have, our state is really excellent. We have, um, you know, actual regulations and, and the Department of Agriculture tracks how many come in. I would, I, I might be wrong, but I would think Colorado might also get dogs from the sort of Gulf Coast area because of hurricanes. Do you, is there, is that one of the reasons animals get pushed into Colorado? Yeah, so actually one of our biggest partners is in Bay City, Texas. Right. Um, and we had a lot of Harvey dogs. Yeah, Harvey, we took cats yeah. and dogs from yeah. Harvey. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, interesting. We lost a lot of fosters during the pandemic, so we didn't take any Ida dogs because yeah. we just don't really have yeah. places for them to go. Well, I read an article in the Daily Mail uh, two or three days ago. A veterinarian in the U UK was saying that he'd euthanized something like 10 dogs that day, and he was absolutely devastated, was thinking of leaving the profession. And he, was, he said, I've never in my life had to euthanize dogs that are healthy and happy. Um, oh, no. because so oh, many dogs are being relinquished to shelters after COVID. They just can't cope with them, the numbers. Yeah, That's it is awful. Oh gosh. And I, I think mean, the breeders- I, mean, I, 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 I sort of, I kind of like, oh, put my foot, my husband's like, what's wrong? I said, I can't even finish that article. I'm just going to start crying. It was just, I just can't even read it. I don't even want to know. Sometimes you just have to stick your head in the sand because we got to protect our own mental well-being. I just, I just, I just, I just can't believe that. Can't get my mind around that at all. Mm. oh that's sad in England too you wouldn't think yeah. that but I mean I but to be honest with you I mean I every time we had a dog relinquished at the shelter I just I would read the form and just go how can somebody give in a 14 year old dog they've had since a puppy 
know. And the dog gets given up with their pink collar and their pink bed and their pink toys. And just think, what, how can you do that? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, then, and, I, know, and, I, and, I, and I know we shouldn't judge and there's always going to be situations where people just don't have other options. I, I recognize that, but that's not always why people give up dogs. It's because they're a convenience and they're a disposable asset. And Well, we had an episode last season called There Is No Farm. I think there is a mythology out there yeah. that like there's a better home. There's someone who's going to give this dog a better home, which I guess, you know, every once in a while, just like yeah. conversational adoptions, there's conversational relinquishments. But in reality, like, if you can't deal with this dog, you're the person who has that huge emotional attachment to it. Mm -hmm. If it has issues that you can't deal with, there's good chance that no one's right. going to want it. You know, we can't, yeah, we can't tell you how many uh, emails we get from people saying we got this dog as a puppy and then he started biting and then he bit our kid and we just think that this dog needs a farm somewhere where they can go run around and be an only dog with no kids and no people around. Yeah. And we just, after getting enough of these emails, we had to talk, record this episode of there is, there's no farm. There's no farm for these dogs. And you have to, yeah. you have to start them out right and set them up for success. Yeah. And, and, and understand what you're getting into. Mm -hmm like this oh, I mean, yeah. right here yeah like my healer here i mean, I, I, mean I chose not to have children because i didn't want the responsibility but i've always had dogs and 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 yet and my husband tells me well other than they're much cheaper their response level of responsibility is still huge with the dog and he's absolutely right it is it's a living being that you're caring mm -hmm. for and you, you you know you care for it until the day it it dies not until it becomes inconvenient but and I do think that our, you know, I think Patricia McConnell calls it like the Lassie effect. There is, and I was victim to it too, of like thinking, you know, like these are our little furry animals that we bring into our house and they understand all our rules and they would never bite us, you know, like, so. They're predators. I mean, I mean, they're predators. That's dogs are predators. I mean. And even they want to please us was a myth that I believed and never, you know, we still hear in the rescue every day, well, I think dogs just want to please. And I'm like, maybe some of them, but very rarely, you know, they like now she's licking her little peanut butter thing. So now she's not <laughs> a wild beast. I, every, every single day I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm thankful for just how resilient dogs are given how many of us treat them. It's, it's yeah. amazing that we don't have more devastation um mm -hmm. with behavior i mean they are amazingly resilient um, given the situation yeah. that many of them are putting on a regular basis yeah it's kind of sad. absolutely yeah. yeah anyway the good news is that there's good folks like you guys out there that are helping to get that message across and to educate and give support to pet owners that's that's good yeah. and, and again it goes back to collaboration doesn't it because there are a lot of people out there doing really good work um, mm -hmm. And if we can all connect, then we can all do that really good work together, which makes it so much more powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're really hoping that the podcast gets out there to more rescues, more shelter workers, or if every rescue could just put it in a link to their adopters or, you know, air episodes on their Facebook yeah. page every once in a while, like just getting the information out there. Like we don't get paid to do it. There's no attachment to us other than just want to, you know, change the landscape for people yeah. and their dogs. Yeah.
Okay. Yeah. Well, let's, I mean, let's wrap up by just let, so let, letting everybody know, because this, this will go out as a podcast as well later. So tell everybody how, how can they find the podcast and what platform is it on? Where can they go to access it? Yeah. So our website is podtotherescue.com and there we have have to all of the platforms and I, I think it's on everything it's on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher um anchor wherever you listen to podcasts we are and we also have all of our show notes hosted on our website and then we also have links to our social media and we're fairly active on social media at least we try and so yeah um folks can connect with us they ask questions suggest episode topics uh, things like that. Okay, so the website is podtotherescue.com. And do you have a Facebook page under that name as well? Do, yes. Yeah. And we have an Instagram, okay. pod to the rescue. Okay, and the podcast is every second Thursday. Is that what I heard? That's what it's going to go to. It was every week, and we realized that we were scrambling like hamsters on a wheel to get yeah. it out. And, and there's so many podcasts out there anyway. Nobody's just probably waiting for to hear ours. <laughs> you know? So we were like, let's just take a breath and do every other week. Yeah, yeah and really I mean, and every, the, every other week's a good schedule. I mean, it gives you time to breathe. It gives people time to listen to it in between. That's yeah, and we're committed to doing high a high quality episode. Everything that we put out, you know, we don't want to just be on there out. yeah totally yeah. so yeah okay all right well if you've got if there's just one thing you could you'd, you'd want to tell our audience about the podcast or about the rescue or about you guys what would that be before we say goodbye what's the one thing that you would like to get out uh, out to the to the masses for me i think it's we have to start thinking about um preventing rescue and from ever being a need in the first place. And the reasons behind it are so multifaceted, but we have to, if we ever solve the problem, we have to think about why dogs land in rescue to begin with, and we have to address those issues. And that's what we're trying to do. And I would love for peppers everywhere to look at their work through that eye. Mm -hmm. That one's Oh my gosh. Well, I, I don't know how to follow up on that one. No, really. <laughs> That's why she's on. I call Nina Totenberg from NPR. Like she just came out with like knowing how to do this. Uh, yeah. Just, I guess my one thing would be same as what she said. And then just please listen, go check it out. Like we had Michael Shikashio and we have Kim Brophy coming up and Eileen Anderson and where she's going to do puppy socialization. Like we have a great lineup coming up in the next mm -hmm. few months. So yeah listen share yeah there are some fabulous gems in every single episode there's yeah. not a single episode that doesn't I, have an aha moment mm -hmm. exactly yeah exactly yeah okay well ladies thank you for joining me it's been fun I have to get you back yeah on in a few thank you so much for having us yeah let's thank come back on in a few months and we can talk about some of your episodes you can pull you can bring some of those gems with you totally. love that. we'll do a rehash yeah. of um how long have you been doing the podcast for now uh, I think it started in May because okay. of Patricia McConnell. Yeah, all right. So why don't why, why don't we get you back on in May and we can do a review of a uh, twelve months of a rescue podcast? We'll. Oh my God, we would love yeah, that. Thank you so okay. much for for having us on. We really appreciate it. Let's do that. All right. Well, Emily, Libby, thank you so much for joining us. And as soon as this goes out on a podcast, I'll let you guys know. 
Um, okay, so. and special appearances by Daisy. Yes. <laughs> I'll make sure I get her name in there. <laughs> All right, well, thank, look, no, on a serious note, thanks for all the great work that you guys are doing. Keep it up, and um, we'll look forward to having you back in May. Okay, great. Thank Bye. you so much. Take care. Bye. 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 What sets PPG apart? We are the only membership organization for professionals who subscribe to the view that aversive methods should not be used or even deemed necessary as part of a strategic training or behavior modification program. As an organization, we stand up for what we and our membership believes in. We promote ongoing advocacy initiatives and back up our positions with the latest scientific research and peer-reviewed studies. As a member of PPG, you have access to more than 30 membership benefits. So what's stopping you? Visit www.pet.com professionalguild.com and explore the PPG membership.